are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering online. Please go to www.hopechurchguildford.com for more details. We look forward to getting to know you. Well, before the pandemic, we had about maybe four a year, four, four to six a year. And, uh, but this is actually our first one since, uh, since kind of March uh, 2020. And um, the reason for it is because we've been going through the book of Genesis on a Sunday morning. You're probably here because you've uh, been watching some of those. But even if, even if you're not, then you're just so uh, welcome. It's good to get together and connect on uh, what for many people can be a really important um, topic for discussion and um, this evening just let you know a bit of the format um, Phil Duncalf one of the elders here at Hope Church is going to present um, I guess the, the the various views that uh, surround the first three chapters of Genesis uh, especially creation and um, that will be around 35 minutes or so and then uh, we will then have a we've got a panel of guests which will introduce you to you later on and um, we'll take your questions. Now, everything um, it, tonight is going to be kind of communicated through Slido uh, in terms of ways for you to interact and communicate back with us. So um, if you head to slido.com, that's S-L-I-D-O.com, and put in hashtag Hope Church, then um, on there you can submit questions loads of people have been submitting questions already and we'll submit those to the panel later on uh, there's also a live poll open at the moment uh, so you can uh, go onto the poll and uh, just uh, submit your answers it'd be great to know at the start what your views are even before we get stuck into it on on genesis chapter one so you can even do that right now um, and uh, so then after we've done the questions, that'll be the end of the evening. So we will finish no later than half past nine. That's, that's the end time. We might finish earlier, but we'll probably end up at half past nine. Um, before we get stuck into it, let me pray because we're a church and we, we love God and we believe more than anything that God um, is, is our saviour, that everything has begun with him and we can trust him and, and even to this evening he can speak to us he can fill us he can be with us as as we uh, explore these this important topic so let me lead us in prayer heavenly father i just want to thank you so much for the opportunity we have tonight to just connect together to look at the various different views uh, there are surrounding those first few chapters of genesis and and i just pray lord whatever you know whatever positions we come to at the end uh, individually that actually we just hold each other in love and grace and, and have much yeah grace for one another and um and i ask you lord god just to be with us settle our hearts help us uh, to communicate effectively uh, throughout the evening and all those that are speaking or or answering questions lord i pray you be with them too and uh, just have your presence with us this evening as we explore this important topic in your heavenly name amen okay well let me hand over to phil to introduce yourself and kick off this first part of the evening cool thank you very much nice to see everyone um just looking at the poll i'll share my slides in a moment there's an interesting waiting i was sort of expecting close to that but 
seems a lot more towards old and evolution than I'd kind of anticipated, which is, which is good. It's okay. That's fine. Um, I'm going to be presenting a fairly neutral position, uh, it, it, at least in this bit. I'll, I'll probably tell you my view as we go. But um, the, the main bit of this presentation is really just to talk about how we um, wrestle with the Bible, uh, wrestling with scripture. Um, can I show the poll to everyone? That is a good question. I can do that if you, uh, or Sean, are you able to show the poll to everyone in your fancy tech way? Um, I can see myself twice, but I'll, maybe I'll just share my screen and see what I'm seeing. There we go. So that's what I'm seeing at the moment. Uh, it's probably not the nicest way to see it. How about that? There we go. So quite quite a large portion proportion. Um, a few undecided, and a couple that are. Although I can't actually see how many have answered the Earth is young in this view, which is helpful. Slido. Um, nope, it's not working. Anyway, we'll go to. Um, my presentation and then we'll get there's a couple extra people just entering so i'm going to introduce myself once the next couple people enter right see if I can get this working right. So hi, hi everyone. Those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Phil. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Church. And um, I've got the privilege of heading up the presentation for this evening, just looking at the various views of Genesis. Um, and I don't think I can ever get used to doing a seminar without being able to see everyone's faces properly, uh, but that's the way it's going to be. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that um, everything is working and I'm going to rely on you on muting yourself <laughs> to ask a question if you need to, because I can't actually see anyone while I'm looking at my notes, which is, which is a really helpful feature of Zoom and PowerPoint. Um, so I'll hopefully be able to uh, communicate clearly and um, if it stops working anything stops working again just shout let me know because um, I'm just going to go through this we've been going through Genesis as a church uh, as Chris said so and this is what we called our series um, blueprint for life and uh, I'm going to just go through how we read the bible uh, as, as sort of starting point of this evening to sort set the tone um, and I think this is a bit is, is really important. Uh, some, some really simple things that I think are necessary because oftentimes when we, when you hear this discussion, you'll, you'll hear certain views saying, well, that the Bible is, is plain. This is the plain reading, uh, or the most straightforward reading. And, uh, well, we, we all have our own worldview. We have a way that we look at the world and that is very different from the way that the ancient writers of the Bible uh, viewed the world. And so actually the plain reading may actually be a very incorrect reading because it's not quite what the biblical authors had in mind when they were talking to their audience. 
So I'm going to kind of set some strategies uh, for us to, to figure out what that means for us as we read the Bible, especially if you're new to the Bible and working out what it, what it says and, and uh, how it all works. A view that I found helpful is that the, the Bible isn't necessarily a handbook that we can go into and find easy answers to a difficult question, but it's, it's more actually like an arena where we bring our questions and our life and we wrestle with it. Because sometimes the, the, the Bible is clear on certain things, um, but sometimes the clarity comes when you're uh, looking at the Bible with others and others that have traveled the road of uh, Bible study a little bit longer than you. And uh, some, th some things that you thought were once clear, as you dig in a bit deeper, you realize are your way of looking at the world, not the way that the Bible wants you <laughs> to look at the world. And so there's certain things that we hold to, we call them sort of clo closed handed issues, things that we won't really argue on because we can see them clearly, we will, we will help you see, the, see them clearly. Uh, things like Jesus died, Jesus rose again, uh, and God created, God created all things. But there are other things like possibly <laughs> the age of the earth uh, that are a little less clear and possibly even the Bible is silent on. And that's where we have evenings like this. And I just want to make it clear, we're not going to be answering, uh, resolving the the issue tonight i'm afraid if you thought that's what's going to happen tonight uh then um i'm sorry to disappoint you um but the this is a big question this is a big topic and uh we we're going to try and do our best to share with you some answers but they're not necessarily going to be all of them and actually there's a stack of resources out there that i'll try and point to for those of you with more questions than we can answer tonight but we the point of uh, this bit here is is that reading the Bible is uh, kind of like traveling around the world, but not just traveling around the world, you travel across time as well. And so most of us here tonight will have been educated in the West or at least in Western education systems. And at the moment you live in another country, you start to recognize that people think slightly differently their language has different emphases on, on different words and ideas. And this is no less true than reading the Bible. When you're reading the Bible, you're going into, for the start of the Bible, the ancient Near East. For the rest of the uh, New Testament, you're in, into the Middle East. And even just there, even if you went to the Middle East now, as uh, friends are doing uh, fairly soon, you will find that there is a whole way of different, uh, whole way, different way of looking at the world. And there will be not just language issues, but you will think you're presenting a logical argument and it will fall apart because they don't see <laughs> the world in the way that you do. And they will, they will, you'll have a whole bit of uh, trying to figure out the other person and what, how they understand the world before you can even really go into the debate. And that's kind of what the Bible is. And I, I don't know about you, but I find that quite exciting <laughs> that the Bible isn't just a really simple manual for life. That actually, the, the more I dig into it, the more wonder and the more um, sometimes mystery, uh, sometimes tension between things that I would say should be clear. Um, all of that, it, I, I find really interesting and exciting. But. Uh, the Bible isn't going to necessarily give you one answer 
to complex questions. And I, I again, find that really rewarding, uh, like suffering. There's loads of different answers within the biblical text, within the biblical stories for why they're suffering. Uh, and sometimes you just don't know. <laughs> You're kind of left wondering. And I find that a little bit in Genesis as well. But when we get to the, the moment, so it's cross-cultural we've we've got to do some work to really figure out what the the audience is uh the original audience before we get to us and i'm going to give us some tools to do that in a moment but i just want to make it clear that the bible isn't a scientific textbook there's a uh, one of the early church fathers so one of the very early christians who wrote in the fifth century an african theologian called augustine uh, wrote about two books the book of scripture and the book of nature and the two are not in conflict now, even in the fifth century, Augustine did not ascribe to a literal sixth day creation, not even a six age creation, but he, he had a different view on Genesis altogether. And so this isn't a new debate. And that's why I'm saying we're not going to solve it tonight. Um, it's, it's ongoing. And, and so even Augustine thought that we shouldn't have nature com in conflict with what scripture says. And the Bible accommodates its original audience, and we need to be careful that we don't bring what we think is obvious into the text, uh, which is where I'm going to go through the next few steps. Hopefully this is helpful and not just me geeking out, but this is, this is a, a nice little picture I've got in a, a textbook. Um, on the left, you'll see uh, an older city, uh, we then have a bridge and then we have a modern city following through the numbers the first one the first number is that this is basically the journey we have to take when we interpret the bible the first step is really figuring out what did the text mean to the audience it was written for and who's the audience genesis is written for well as chris has repeatedly said through uh, the various talks that we have in our current preaching series that this is written for hebrews that have just left egypt that are just engaging with who God is and he's revealing himself to them, the law, uh, the law that they're to live by, and he's accommodating their worldview, which I'm going to give you an example of what that might have looked like in a moment. Now, we then have the culture, language, and time and situation, and we've got to kind of figure out how wide the river is. And the, the, the river is at its widest, in Genesis. When we get to Jesus, the river is still pretty wide, but it's a bit less wide. We, we have more evidence. We have uh, current cultures that are quite similar to, to the Middle East, in at least in some aspects. And, and so it's a, it's a bit less of a gap to figure out what's going on and, and what the original audience might have thought. I mean, Genesis is a little bit harder. We, we aren't slaves that have just left Egypt. We're uh, not in a the theocracy, uh, a nation that's governed by God himself. Um, we've, we've got to break some things down here that um, before we start applying it to our lives now. So the st step two is how, how wide is that river? How far from the original audience are we? And then we've got to have some principles in the text that are... Um, that could be true for all time. And that's kind of where the discussion around Genesis is. What is true for the original audience that God was revealing to those people that then applies to now. And we have these principles that come across the river. And then in four, 
It's looking at the whole of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. How does this principle that I've just pulled out of the text, how does that apply within the scope of scripture? And then five, you're, you're finally on your way. How, how does this apply to me in life? Now, this is generally the process that most teachers should go through. And sometimes we skip straight to five. And that's, that's our worldview lens. We go, uh, right, Jesus tells me to love my neighbor. My neighbor is next door living in his separate house. Therefore, I need to go and give them a nice meal. In some of that is true, but the original audience's neighbor and in the context of the passage, that there's possibly more to that. Um, obviously love your neighbor that is an important message but there there is more to the context of the passage that that's worth looking into so don't just jump to number five is basically the idea here so i'm going to just look at how we do that with genesis so we've got cosmic geography and stories of the day so th this takes us a little bit into some of the language that uh, we might see and some of the questions and answers that are coming up on slido so we've got this very interesting cosmology. Now, the bottom right is a Babylonian cosmology. Now, it doesn't really look like cosmology. It looks like a guy sitting on something and uh, spinning a wheel. Well, actually, uh, and I've unfortunately cropped it slightly, but the guy is sitting on a throne, which is on top of water, which is actually uh, in, in the explanations of it, it's God sitting on his throne over what's known as the firmament. Uh, and earth would be below it so we're not even looking at this is the heavenly throne room basically on a, on a babylonian um carving the one above it uh this one here on the top right is the egyptian worldview it's basically all their gods so you've got this is the firmament i can't remember the name of the egyptian god someone can help me out with that um but those are all the stars and then we've got uh the sun god sort of going over over the firmament we've got uh sea and land and various different things so basically all of these gods are part of creation and then on the left we've got the hebrew creation story of the different days and that doesn't really look like modern cosmology to me um so there, there's something interesting going on in that and when you start to notice that there's this vault and skies and uh, land, Sheol is the place of the dead, or the, the underworld. There's something about what, the, what Genesis is doing that relates to the cosmology of the day. And if you just think of one example, one, one such thing, think of uh, just coming out of Egypt, you've kind of absorbed a little bit of cosmology from, those, uh, from the Egyptians you might have talked to. And now God is saying, basically, you know, you know, that God that holds up the heavens. I, I created that. <laughs> that's not actually a God that that's that's just light. That's just stars. That's stuff that I've created out of dust. And that's that's pretty big. So basically, there's, there's a little bit of uh, what's known as polemic here that Jews, are, the, the Hebrews were, were saying, our God is better than your gods. Um, so there's a little bit of that going on and there's a little bit of God accommodating their worldview um, and their cosmology to say that I've created all things. So talking about those principles that we're coming to, well, that is one of the principles that God has created all things. It's not necessarily about what it looks like, the time it took, the processes underneath. You get to explore all that later, but I just want you to know the current belief systems 
I'm bigger and I have created all things. Um, and, and so I find that helpful. Once you start digging into the sort of uh, cultures of the time, it's, it's helpful to recognize that it doesn't quite look like what we think it might or, or should look. And, and with that modern science, we, we've learned a lot from ancient science, but we've also come a long way, several thousand years since ancient science to recognize things like uh, the sun rises and the sun sets is actually from our perspective. The sun doesn't rise, the sun doesn't set, technically speaking, we revolve around the sun. So while our language hasn't updated, our science has, and we're using this language of setting and rising from our personal perspective. And that's ancient science. That's what it looked like. The, the earth may well have seemed quite flat. Now we can fly around it knowing that it's not flat. So all, all of history has lent us to modern science, and we need to be careful not to bring in our our understanding of modern science into a text that isn't modern. Uh, and we then have to rec wrestle with, well, what, what is God saying and doing in that moment? Why is he accommodating science and the science of the day? And does he do the same for us today? Uh, I would answer he does. Uh, I think he does accommodate modern science. The Bible isn't speaking into modern science, but it is speaking into the world in really important ways. Uh, and we'll go into those today. So what, what principles? I'm just going to give a summary because I think we want to we do want to go into some of these questions. So one of the theological principles that I would say comes out of Genesis that I think everyone can agree with is who is God? God is creator. He creates all things. He's in all things, sustains all things. No matter what the material process, God sustains it. I think we all can nod our heads and, and agree that that is how God has revealed through the creation stories. We can see that well, creation has a purpose that there's these spaces that God creates and fills them with uh, animals and then creates humanity to work in the garden alongside uh, God. And we'll look at some of that language in a bit. But creation is important and it's vital and it's created for God. He rests in his creation. He finds we, we find that the creation story is completed by God resting in the beginning of chapter two, which is technically the flow of thought from chapter one. We won't go into translation here tonight. That's another one, uh, an another big topic. Anyway, so we, we know about creation. We can find out some things that are true about creation. We can find out also about humanity and humanity's purpose. We're made in the image of God. No matter what you do, no matter how short your or long your lifespan or how good you are at certain things or what job you do or don't have, you are made in the image of God. You are worthy. You are loved. You are important and valued. This is the good news of the gospel, that all humans have a purpose, even if we don't know what it is. <laughs> they do. And we are called to love them. Uh, and as from unborn to uh, the end of life, we are called to care for all humanity because they are made in the image of God. We also have in Genesis 3 uh, an idea that something goes badly wrong with the world. We look around us, there's people suffering. We know there's something wrong with the world. And we, as Christians, have a principle from Genesis 3 that we call sin. There's something that's corrupted all things <laughs> uh, in, in the world. And we have both the impact of that on our on us we become victims of sin but we are also held responsible for our own sin so it's the two pronged prongs of both responsibility and being acted on 
But there's hope in Genesis 3 that we have this offspring of Eve that will defeat evil and defeat the serpent. And we long for, and we see that then in Jesus, and then we long for his second coming when that will be made totally right. So it's not that God isn't doing anything about suffering, it's that we are taught to wait patiently and to endure and to persevere. And so these are the principles that were coming out of Genesis, and I told you a little bit about the solution there. And there's loads more. There's, there's loads and loads and loads of, of, of stuff that comes out of Genesis that are principles that we can all hold true. But notice I've just taught a load of theology without actually talking about the age of the earth, which is where this then fits into uh, looking at how scripture refers to these different things. Now, the scripture does repeatedly point back to Genesis, but you won't find much of those times ever talking about the age of the earth. There are, Jesus talks about marriage by pointing back to Genesis. Uh, Luke talks about Jesus being connected to Adam. But again, that's not necessarily connected to the age of the earth. So there, there's these points in scripture that do hinge on Genesis and are, make Genesis really important. But there are certain aspects of this debate that don't flow all the way through scripture. And that's where we start to go, okay, is this important? Is this not important? Certain things are certain things aren't and that's where we then go into how these apply today and so that's why we have this big uh, emphasis on things like marriage well jesus pointed to genesis about marriage being between a man and a woman we have this big thing about uh, gender in our culture well we have the emphasis of male and female being important in in genesis and that's why as christians we should wrestle with these questions how we handle scripture while also loving our neighbor and and these are some important things that come out of genesis that you'll see in in our sermons as well and and that's why genesis is really important but they're also contentious issues and even within christianity we will debate these issues and we will discuss how and why and what does go across that bridge into the day and you'll find christians on all sides of this debate saying certain things are important other things aren't and that's part of being a christian we have to recognize that this is not an easy answer this is a complex question and we just have to wrestle with it and have grace within that so how do we debate? Let me go through this really quickly and we'll, we'll then go through some uh, of these things. One of the questions is, what is Hope Church's position on this? Well, Genesis, in terms of the creation debate, in terms of age of the earth, isn't a salvation issue to us. So what I mean by that is that it doesn't impact your relationship with Jesus. You can believe the, that Genesis is poetry and evolution is true and you can love Jesus uh, as, as long as you believe Jesus died and rose again for your sins and find forgiveness in him, we're, we're good to go. Um, this is not something we're going to fight over and kick you out of the church over. Uh, there might be certain aspects of that, like uh, around Adam, that we might have a little bit of a more uh, careful conversation on. But again, there's so much in this that there are other bigger issues that we, we find more important and connected with our, our salvation. When we go into this, our, our hope is that even if you come out of this evening disagreeing with everything I've said, hopefully you haven't disagreed with much that I've said so far, but everything that's said from the panel, we hope that we display grace to one another, that we show that other views are 
allowed that we even if we find certain things um we, we don't see the evidence for we're still displaying grace and graciousness to each other and showing that we want to wrestle with scripture that we take it in, uh seriously um and we aren't just labeling other people bad things uh, about this and one of those bad things that i see in this debate that i want to just emphasize a, a couple of things um th this is one of the things i just want to really check <laughs> before we go through uh reading some of the four views um this these books called the four views of and then they have big topics and there's a, a few topics where the argument comes out that if you believe x you're calling god a liar because of why and this happens a lot in this debate around different things and actually every single view uh that i'll summarize in a moment has a point where someone else will say you're calling god a liar so for example young earth creationists believe that the earth is young well an old earth creationist might say to the young earth creationist you're calling god a liar because the earth looks old so is god lying about the age of the earth but an old earth creationist, the young earth creationist would say to the old earth creationist, well, God lies about six days, uh, morning and evening. That's really obvious, isn't it? So how can an old, how can the earth be old if it's 24 hour days? God, are you saying God is a liar? And then you have evolutionary creationists who believe in evolution and often don't actually accept a historic Adam and Eve. Well, does God lie about Adam and Eve? Hopefully you're getting my point. This God lying doesn't help our conversation. And actually it makes people really upset. No, I'm trying to take the Bible seriously. I'm trying to take science seriously. And I don't think they should conflict. Uh, and I, I, I don't personally, but hopefully uh, we can all wrestle with science and we can wrestle with scripture and we can see where they do actually uh, complement each other well. And that's the heart of this, that we might come out of this disagreeing, but hopefully you don't start telling someone else that they're calling God a liar uh, just because they hold a slightly different view. Now, I think it's important just to look at some terms before we, we go into the questions. Young Earth Creation, uh, YEC sometimes is used. Old Earth Creation is OEC, Evolutionary Creationist. Uh, I'll explain the differences between these in a moment. And then a functional creationist, which uh, I don't know how many of you will have heard of, but I'll, I'll try and give a, a quick summary. Um, so here's a nice table that we'll, we'll go through. So these, these are the four, young earth creation, old earth creation, evolutionary creationist, and functional creationist. The age of the earth, this is their views. So a young earth creationist would say the earth is young, hence the title, uh, 6,000, 10,000 years old, somewhere in between. Uh, the fluctuation of uh, age of the earth is because of trying to analyze the genealogies within the Bible and putting maths on those uh, lengths of people's lives. That's, that's how you get that. Uh, old earth creationists, evolutionary creationists, and um, they agree with the standard scientific claim, uh, the modern claim that the, old, the earth is very old, four and a half billion years old with the uh, universe being 13 point something billion years older, uh, billion years. Now, the functional creationist makes no claim. It says that Genesis is not making a claim on the age of the earth. That You can read through Genesis and it 
doesn't say how old the earth is. You can read through the whole of Genesis, not just the first 11 chapters, and it makes no claim on the age of the earth. And I'll give you some resources on who makes says that argument, and I'm happy to explain it a little bit further in a minute. Meaning of day one, uh, meaning of day in Genesis one. So a young earth creationist would say it's 24 hours and the seven days are literally one week. An old earth creationist would say, well, it's six ages that day means an age uh, in God's time. Um, some argue for gaps between the days. Um, an evolutionary creationist, some agree with old earth creation and some would hold a more functional creationist view that um, they're 24 hours but it's about God setting up his temple in creation, that he is fully fulfilling uh, his role as God of creation on the seventh day. And um, some of that you can see in, uh, Chris mentioned a little bit about that in, in his Genesis 1 sermon, um, talking about setting up God, uh, God resting in his creation and the sort of th one to three days go together as uh, spaces, three to six, four to six days, four to six go to setting up the animals and then humans that fill the spaces. And then God fills all creation as his temple. Uh, there's a proponent of this view called uh, John Walton. If you've heard any, read any of his books, um, I'll have a list of resources in a moment. Uh, Adam and Eve. So young earth creationists, they would say that basically, so young earth creation generally, uh, Adam and Eve make Adam and Eve a salvation issue sometimes uh, quite regularly that it's got Adam and Eve has to be historical and they have to be uh, the father and mother of all humanity. Um, old earth creationists, they would say possibly some would be as strong on it as young earth creationists, some would be a little bit uh maybe it wouldn't be a salvation issue but they would question it heavily uh again historical and project i can't say that word <laughs> mother and father for humanity i don't know why i put it in there uh, evolutionary creationists would say that adam and eve are like archetypes or representatives of all of us that the story is a symbol of humanity um they would point to genetics and various things like that to say that they're very unlikely to be the mother and father of all humanity. Um, but they usually evolutionary creationists would also point to that the Bible doesn't really heavily make that claim. It's yeah, uh, that bit, I think Adam and Eve is probably where I, I depart a little bit from evolutionary creationists. Um, the functional view would say that there's not really a claim there that Adam and Eve have to be historic, but they would say that they are archetypal and could be historic. So they're representative. They may have been in history, but the, the Bible isn't making a, a huge claim about them being the father and mother of the entire human uh, family. There are some scriptural issues in that if they're not historic. Uh, Feel free to ask those questions when we get to that, if, if you want. Um, then the flood, we're, we're focusing on Genesis 1 to 3, but I think just wanted to put that there's a difference in view in the flood, and I can share this PowerPoint later as well. So basically, young earth creation is quite combative. combative I can't see some my words tonight. It fights against modern science uh in a lot of ways so they'll sort of try and argue against things like radiometric dating um because the flood is global or they they argue the glo global flood that's why i put it in there that's where you get all these geological stuff with sediment and um 
layers happening really quickly because of pointing to the global flood as evidence of that. And so there's a lot of stuff in young earth creationism that will outright fight against modern scientific consensus. Um, some people love that fight. <laughs> I'm not so sure about it. Um, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll keep moving. Uh, old earth creation is mixed. Some of, some of uh, old earth creationists would agree with modern science in, because they are quite happy with the earth being old, but they're probably more um, pointing to the Bible in terms of how the processes ended up happening within evolution. So it's a little bit of mixed. There's some bits where they agree with modern science, some bits where they don't. Evolution creationists accept modern science and they'd say, well, that's the creation book, the, the natural creation book. Let's let that help us interpret the Bible where there's conflict. Uh, and that makes some people uncomfortable. Um, but that view goes back to Augustine. So it depends how you view uh, early church fathers on that one. And then the functional uh, plan, they, they don't really the whole point of this uh, fourth view is really that they say well it doesn't really matter what modern science does or doesn't say the bible's really just making these principal claims about who god is what creation is so the things that are said at the start so basically you can kind of leave science to do its thing the bible does its thing and we can just go about our business about worshiping god and again that has some of its own issues in that but hopefully that's a little bit helpful there's one view i haven't put in this which is intelligent design and just very quickly it's a fifth view but it's more like a deist view you can be a christian and be into intelligent design um we all as christians believe an intelligence did design creation but generally proponents of intelligent design, they may just be deists, they could be Muslims, they could be any faith. And it, it doesn't necessitate a Christian worldview, which again, some people find helpful. Um, and just uh, some people think that, well, if we're all looking at the natural world together, we should all probably come to the same conclusions. Um, that's kind of the whole idea of science being a, a unifier across uh, faiths. So, that those are the, the five views but id yeah it's not necessarily a christian view but it is held by some christians uh right that's a list of resources again i'll show the powerpoint later that's like a whistle stop tour of the creation views and i hope that's helpful as we go into the questions um and i hope i haven't gone so fast that you didn't actually take in any of it <laughs> um but uh yeah if you've got questions do put them into slido what i think is good before we do go into um it'd be great just to have have a moment just to sort of process that um so we're going to go to the slido questions now and there's been a bunch of questions that you, you know you've obviously liked and, and gone up and um some of these questions were submitted a few days ago so we've already so some of the panel have, have had an opportunity to sort of prepare some of their answers and um so we'll direct because there's a lot of questions and we've got 40 minutes i'll direct most of the questions just to like one individual um but panelists feel free if you want if you've got something burning that you want to chip in then just go ahead and do that. Just before we get there then, um, it'd be great for you to know who's on our panel. So uh, you already know Phil, who obviously has spoken to you already. Uh, Stuart, why don't you just introduce yourself? Yes, hello everyone. I'm um, Stuart Parker. I'm an elder at Hope Church. I originally studied engineering, 
so I would love this book to tell me everything about how the world works but it doesn't so um, I'll help hopefully kind of give some of my thoughts awesome Kate why don't you go next okay so I'm Kate Overy I am a geologist um, with a number of years ago studying various things at university including a bit of physics a bit of maths and um, a little bit of behavioral evolutionary stuff um but yeah geology is my specialism so we shall <laughs> see what comes up very good and uh helen over to you yeah hi um i'm helen um i've been a member of hope church which out this evening for over 11 years now um i'm married to paul and i've got two sons johnny and alex and um way back when i um, i studied gosh biochemistry and so then went on to sort of specialize in molecular biology and believe it or not virology but um yeah, sort of for the last 10, well, no, eight years or so, I've been more involved in the funding side of science rather than the actual research side of science. So there you go. You've got a stellar panel this evening. And um, I mean, what impressive credentials, hey, to help us just uh, manage through. Uh, That's the... why I didn't share mine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, these these questions so um the first one then that i'd like to to come to is uh, i guess it's on the evolution this is what we, we want to know about this is why we're here isn't it and it's can evolution sit alongside creationism and if so how so kate why don't why don't we come to you on that one then okay so um creationism has a capital but i'm going to uh take that in the kind of the broad sense that god created life not necessarily in the um so, yeah, young earth creationists often kind of seem to hijack some terms and um, often seem to take creationism as a six day instant um, event. But anyway, I'm going to take it in a broad, broad sense. So the short answer, I believe evolution can sit alongside creation. Uh, the longer answer is that I don't believe that Genesis tells us the how of how things work. Instead, I think it's the, it's the what and the why. Um, and I think the, the Genesis one picture it puts together is all about making it clear that creation was a process it wasn't it wasn't an event so things happened one after the other um, and that we are part of that creation now we've discovered that there are so many processes and forces and laws that kind of intrinsic to how the world works um, which most of which we don't have a problem with so gravity conservation of energy um, the fact that the rainbow is formed from refracted light. Um, so Genesis 1 doesn't tell us how these work, um, but they're still amazing and they're still kind of part of how God has made the world. Um, and we're still making new discoveries all the time, um, but they're not new to God. God already knew about them. They were how he set the world up. So evolution is another process. Um, it happens to take a very long time, but I don't have a problem with the fact that God can have a plan that can take a lot long time. Um, he isn't limited by time. It can take 4.5 billion years. Um, he can see forwards. He can see backwards. Um, he knows how something is going to turn out right from the start. So even though we can't understand that, I feel that evolution can be one of those processes that God can use to create new things. So it's by no means kind of proven that that is the way that things started, but evolution is a process that we see in the world today, just as we see gravity, just as we see conservation of energy, just as we see refraction of light. 
um, and I don't see any way any problem with that process being involved in the creation of the earth and in the creation of life. That's my answer to that one. <laughs> that is so helpful. Thank you so much. And I did the classic Zoom of not unmuting myself. And um, yeah, exactly. If, if so, how? Thank you. It's so helpful to hear. So our next question, as you can see on the screen, is so we're told in that in Genesis is a story. It's not factual, um, especially around creation. Well, how can we then trust the, the other stories in the rest of Genesis, like Abraham and, uh, and Noah? So, Helen, why don't you uh, kick us off with that one? Gosh, OK, I wasn't fully expecting this question. Um, I think this is really difficult. So um, so what basically, what do we actually believe is the truth? And well, not, what do we believe is historical fact in um, Genesis? And then what is an allegory? I think this is very difficult. Where do you draw the line? And I think everybody has their own individual thing. I mean, you can either take Genesis factually from sort of the first verse all the way through, but then, I mean, all the different um, views that um, Phil showed us that, you know, you, you can break it down into four, but I think it's an, as an individual, where do you sit on that spectrum? Do you take it from verse one? Adam and Eve, that's a bit tricky. Noah, that's a bit tricky too. And it's sort of, I, I, I mean, gosh, I've been a Christian now for, because I can't do the math, for over 15 years. And I think for me, I'm happy sort of saying, I can very much believe that Abraham is a historical figure. I can see that, you can see the oral tradition. I'm quite happy with that. But Noah, I'm not sure I could believe that there was a historical flood, yes. Adam and Eve, I'm not sure. I think they're more archetypal persons, but I don't know. I think it's where you've got to be comfortable on that spectrum. And again, sort of going back to Kate's point that, you know, 4.5 billion years, when did Genesis start? But then again, it's how do you interpret scripture? When is it an allegory? And when is it fact? And you can't just suddenly go, I mean, it's, you know, is it literally from one verse to another? Okay, this is an allegory. Now we're suddenly gone into fact. How do you know that? How do you understand? And I think we can't understand at the end of the day. I think it's just having to be led by the spirit as we're reading the Bible and trying to interpret it from our worldview, but also listening to other people's worldviews and being prepared to accept where they're on that journey and where they sit on that spectrum. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Helen. Thank you so much. And, you know, and, and it's true, isn't it? As uh, Phil was mentioned right at the start, that the Bible, and when we read the Bible, there's multiple different uh, types of genre throughout the Bible, like poetry, um, obviously, there's narrative, there's historical, there's all these different types of writing. And so, you know, it says that Jesus is the door. Well, is he a he, was he a really a literal door? I'm not sure anyone goes with that. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely, thank you, Helen. That's really helpful for us to, to to just process. Well, when we when we read the Bible, we've got to we've got to decide. Well, what is allegory and what's not? And many cleverer people than than us have written commentators to commentaries to help us to to wear that out. So let's let's move on then. Um, next question then is why is the creation of angels not included in Genesis one? And um, if Nephilim are angels, so offspring of humans and angels, brackets, why is their story missed out in Genesis? And I think Stuart is going to uh, get hold of this one for us. Thanks, Chris. Um, so I'm going to kind of say a little bit about the Nephilim, but um, Chris, if you think you've got away scot-free by chairing this, well, I've got to say, you're going to be having to talk through Genesis 6 in a few weeks time. So there you go. 
um, Genesis 6, 4 has one verse that mentions the Nephilim. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. There's one more verse in Numbers, which makes reference to them, these giants, or it's very unclear what they are, who they were. And there's a sense that the author of Genesis assumed that his readers kind of knew who these people were, but we don't. And we can speculate, but we don't know. And that kind of leads into the broader point here. Um, why, you know, why is the creation of angels not included in Genesis 1? Why does Genesis not tell me all the answers that I want to know? Why doesn't it tell me about, you know, whether God's made aliens or whether the Big Bang happened or all these great questions that I love Genesis to answer? Genesis has a purpose. Genesis tells us about creation, why um, we were created, it tells us about what we're like, that we're fallen. Um, it tells us about God's promises, about uh, the promise that will be fulfilled in ultimately in Jesus and about God's chosen people. It tells us about faith and it, it kind of lays the foundation for the rest of the Bible. So sadly, for those of us who are curious about other things, it skips over loads of stuff that we'd love to know. The creation of angels be fascinated to read a book about that. We will find out, I'm sure, these things in heaven in the future. But um, the Bible is not written by God for our to sort of um for our curiosity it's not an encyclopedia it is a book or a set of books with a purpose and the other last quick point i'd like to make is that imagine you're you kind of you're you're um trying to trying to write a book that's going to be understandable and relevant for people over a period of thousands of years so you've got to kind of write this you know this book was um, probably composed around 14 or 1500 BC. And now we're trying to understand it three and a half thousand years later. Um, so you've got, you've got to kind of make this fairly, fairly sort of understandable by different generations of, of different times and in a language that people are going to understand. There's going to be some stuff that people nearer the time understood and we kind of we've, we've lost it a bit now with the Nephilim um, but kind of it's it's so some some good principles and I think we've just got to be content that it covers the ground that it does cover and it reveals the God you know the, the creator of of our universe and his plan for our um, our world and it's not going to answer all our questions sorry about that hmm. no, that's, that's can I add awesome. to that just a little bit um, so there's over, over the last thousands of years, just to map out, there's two, two main views on this. Either the Nephilim are angels. They came and they slept with humans and the offspring were some mixed being. Uh, don't know how that makes you feel, uh, but that's been an ancient view uh, for, for a long time. And then the other view is that this is an ancient way of talking about old kings and sons of God were referenced to the, the kings of the age because the, uh, they thought they were deities. <laughs> so um, the gods in different creation myths around that area 
elected their kings and made them kings uh, as sons of gods, um, which kept the the plebs <laughs> in their rightful place. Um, so there are there are, as Stuart said, the, there's tensions here. Those those are the two kind of acceptable views really across the uh, Christendom. So uh, take of that. Awesome. You will. Good, good stuff. Good. Hope you're finding this interesting. I am. I mean, I'm learning loads uh, this evening. So thank you, panellists. Um, so the next question then is, does Genesis give any indication that people should take care of God's environment? Now, this is a, a new one that's come in. So I'll kick us off while our panel think. And um, I, all the way through Genesis 1, it says, you know, God created and it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. So we hear straight away in the first chapter that god's creation is good um so that has lots of implications to it that you know that of course we should look after and take care of it but specifically in chapter two um when creating adam and eve in verse 15 it says the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden and then it says to work it and to take care of it now obviously that's the niv translation and i don't know the original hebrew off the top of my head but they those two those two words they would put in there when I studied it for the preach I found that those they I think I even used the analogy that it was like a ruler um, who rules over his nation is there to um, to rule over so that's that first part um, but also secondly is to to guard that nation you know the, the ruler is there to protect the nation as well to to take care of it to look after it to make sure it's healthy and fit and and flourishing and working well and so i think in in that creation mandate before the fall when creating um yeah mankind god has put in there a mandate for mankind to to subdue, to multiply, to rule over, but also to take care uh, of creation. So I, I think absolutely this is important, therefore, for Christians to to be thinking about the environment, to be recycling, to be doing everything we can to to look after God's good creation. I don't know if anyone else wants to say anything. Okay, right, good. I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, next one then. Are the seven days of creation to be taken literally and or were the seven days representative of a period of time? Uh, Helen, let's let's come to you. I mean, I think this has possibly been answered already, but um, this is really weird. Um, but, um, so Phil sort of touched on this in his talk that, you know, how do you actually interpret it? And again, it kind of went to his table with the four different views. And then Kate sort of went in the first question, she as well sort of said, you know there are the different ways that you can take it and again I think it comes down to your own personal perspective on it that you know are we going to take every single word of God as it is and sort of from verse one onwards or is are we going to take it poetically or um, allegorically and I think it's sort of it's your own personal decision where do you sit on that where do you sit in terms of all the scientific evidence and again I think it's just been guided by the spirit and you know try and reach the conclusion you can but equally being open-minded to other people's views and where they sit on this so but again I think that's possibly the most important thing on this question is just to be everybody does differ in this everybody does have a different opinion and just to be respectful of that and you know just know what yours is and why you believe it so Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, that leads really nicely, actually, onto this this extra question, which is an another one that's come in just this afternoon. Does Hope Church subscribe to a, a young earth or, um, or 
creationist view or uh, and so on and uh, as phil mentioned right at the beginning as helen's just reiterated there um there is no official hope church view there will be people in this zoom call right now people all across our church um who have all sorts of different or you know who share different of those those four or those five different views they there'll be a spectrum and the reality is that you're all loved you're all cared for you're all cherished you're all part of our church and this is an open-handed issue for us it's it's not um one of those core principles of our faith which we would say oh no you you need if you're going to be part of our church you have to have this view no no actually it's, it's open and and it's good it's a good one to debate and and i wonder if actually it's not going to be until we meet jesus face to face that we'll ever really know and when we do we probably won't care to be honest but it's good still to be part of this zoom so don't just check out but you know it's good but i i, I think um no the answer is no uh, christians can absolutely disagree to disagree um and 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 to be to be loved and cared for in that so uh a question again that's come in tonight during this meeting is this is there evidence that animals ate other animals um before the fall or that every living thing was a vegetarian i'm happy to go for it have a, have a little go but H helen's already waving so I, H helen feel free to well to... no no i just love this question i think it's a really interesting question and i don't go know the it. answer but i think as vegetarianism as you know especially from an environmental perspective we're all called to sort of take up vegetarianism i think i think it's a really interesting question i think you know i don't know i haven't looked at the text from that perspective to see what the answer would be but yeah it's, it's very interesting i think for for what i've read on it it comes down to to what you again the view that you take generally affects how you read the rest of it so when you read genesis 1 it's quite quiet with regards to animal death and fall and why this is important is because the the fall death comes in with the fall uh, this this becomes a real point of contention uh, especially around young earth creationism and evolution. Evolution sort of relies on the death of things to then bring about na uh, natural selection and, and that process. Now, a old earth creationist and an evolutionary creationist would argue that with the fall, human death was the issue. The plant death and animal death, that's not the focus of the Bible. The focus of the Bible is God, creation and humanity and probably prioritizing God and humanity. Jesus's death saves humanity. It doesn't save the souls of animals or that's not really, <laughs> it might do, but it's not really in the text. So the, the focus point becomes um, for an evolutionary creationist or a uh, old earth creationist, the focus would be, well, the fall was humans death. That's the, that's the bit that's bad. Animals can't sin, humans sin. And, and that's that's the issue that needs to be dealt with um, for a young earth creationist. They would say, well, it's got to be no death. Then there's death <laughs> and then new creation. Um, and again, it comes down to the scientific evidence. Does that play out with what we see around us? And from my limited understanding of biology, because it's one thing that somehow missed in my secondary education, but from my, my amateur reading, there's a decent amount of evidence that there are 
evolutionary <laughs> things happening over time and i'd say that's guided and god is involved in that pr process so hopefully that that's helpful thank you thank you so much phil and can i just thank you all for all the questions you're submitting um just to let you know we we will stick to time and we've got 20 minutes left there are 17 questions so we're, we're going to do our best all the ones that have been as in the 17 questions left uh, all the ones that have been thumbed up we're working through so we're working through the the highest priority so we may not get to your question this evening but um you know phil's always around if you want to chat to him <laughs> he'll, he'll happily take Great. you on go for a walk and he'll go for it with you um so okay here's one again submitted this evening is there oh no we've done that is there evidence animals thank you phil if god knows us before we are born and he has plans for us did he know that adam and eve were going to eat the fruit if not how do we know that he has plans for us go for it Stuart. so um the bible shows god as being omniscient which means he knows all things and he's outside time so yes he he would have known he wouldn't have wanted um anyone any of us to sin but he knew it was happy we knew it was going to happen that's different from um did he have responsibility for it no adam and eve he gave the freedom to choose whether to trust him or not but yeah he knew what they were going to do because he's outside time and he's all knowing and so it's kind of it's a hard thing to wrestle with because we're not god we're not omniscient we're not outside time but um yes he knew that doesn't mean that we're kind of just automatons that um that he like robots that he has set in motion we have our own freedom and our own responsibility so hopefully that makes some sense but yeah we we can't fully get our heads around this because we are limited people limited human beings in time who are not omniscient good answer can, can i just add just a wee bit on this just from a so before i was talking about cultural perspectives as we go into the bible uh we're a church that's very much grown up in the sort of reformed tradition that god is sovereign we'd call ourselves probably on the fence between Calvinism and Arminianism in the sense of does God is God sovereign and predetermines all things do we have free will we're probably on the fence but with possibly our our legs swung over to the Calvinist side the, that sort of way of thinking is very western talking to some some uh, Muslim friends and even a, a Jewish rabbi on campus that's not a tension that they wrestle with God is sovereign we have free will both are true and so that that's a tension that having discussed that with with various people that seems to be a tension that the bible is just quite happy with you read romans and god is sovereign predetermines all things you read hebrews and you can lose your salvation it seems if you deliberately sin there's this tension within the bible that we want a simple answer that the, and this again goes back to what i was saying before we want a simple answer tell me how i should live or well, the, the responsibility is on us for our sin but there's this other aspect of sin that we are victims to so it's again this tension between the two we're responsible for how we act how we respond to god but we're also impacted and have sin around us as well so hopefully that adds to stuart and doesn't confuse on that brilliant Thank you. Um, and 
yeah, my, sorry, my questions have changed. But um, here we go. If Thank you so much, guys. If man were created in the image of God, does God look like man? And uh, I think Stuart's taking this one. Yeah, so if man was created in the image of God, does God look like man? Okay, thank you for this one. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the creation accounts that we've been looking for at the first few um, chapters in Genesis, there's a few things that um, talk about how we image God. And they're not talking about physical appearance. They're talking about um, responsibility. Like we talked about, you know, looking after our world, something about, you know, be fruitful and increase, fill the earth and subdue it. So there's something beyond what the animals can do in terms of ruling um, and also being creative. You know, Adam names the animals. There's something uh, in that. There's something relational towards the end of chapter two. Uh, Adam and Eve, they come together. Um, Adam writes a poem, a poem about his wife, and they're united. So something deeply relational um, about man, and that's that's something about how we image the Trinity, isn't it? That we are um, greatly relational as as people. And um, what does God look like? Well, um, turning to the New Testament, John one eighteen says, "No one has ever seen God." But God, the one and only who is at the father's side, has made him known. Jesus has made him known. And uh, Jesus himself um, says in John 14, uh, 9, well, Philip, one of the disciples, comes to him and says, um, oh, you know, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. We all want to see what God looks like, don't we? It's fascinating. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been an, among you for such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the father. Um, so he's really saying, uh, I, I reflect the father, everything about Jesus. And we can see what he's like. It's, a, it's not about kind of does he have a beard or, you know, how tall is he? It's God is spirit, the Bible says. It's not about his physical appearance. Um, God is a person um, and we can see his character in who Jesus is. So does God look like man? It's almost like, well, God is God. And we can we can ref as we get more and more like Jesus, then we look more and more like uh, God. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stuart. Okay, uh, moving on then. Um, Kate, I'm coming to you. It says, has the Christian view of creation been disproved by science? And I assume by the Christian view um, that that question is implying maybe seven days literal, uh, like as, as we read it in Genesis. Um, I'm making that assumption. You, you might want to interpret that differently. <laughs> uh, okay, so... I was going to open my vein. There are quite a few different Christian views of creation, um, and it depends which one you take as to whether science has disproved it or not. Um, and so I don't really like the idea of kind of science disproving anything because um, science is essentially all about studying, yeah, studying the world and the kind of uh, 
yeah, kind of the worship of the, the creation that God has made. Um, so essentially for a lot of kind of Christian history, kind of human history, um, there kind of hasn't been this, uh, this kind of conflict between science and creation. So science is essentially just kind of studying all that God has made and in learning more, we learn more about God. Um, and if we kind of set ourselves up with, well, God has to do this, God has to create the, God created the light, then God created the plants, then God created the animals, and he did all these things one after the other, and we can't, um, we can't see how they got between these different things, or we can't see how we got to where we are today, and that God has to have done each of those things. Um, then every time there's a new kind of scientific discovery, so every time there's kind of a new fossil that that sits in the gap between like fish and amphibians and then amphibians and reptiles, um, then yeah, it's very easy to kind of say that science has disproved God in that process. Um, but that just means that we haven't understood how God's kind of been working in the gaps that we can't see. Um, so in terms of the six days, as in six literal days, I personally can't see how that can fit with our current scientific understanding of uh, kind of like the, the deposition of rock layers and the huge kind of variety and the time you see in the kind of the fossil record. Um, but then God can do anything. And the thing about science as well is that it's all about creating a hypothesis, testing it, learning more, and we never reach a kind of conclusion, the final answer, we're always learning. So it's entirely possible that new discoveries will be made that, again, tell us more about God, that tell us more about how it isn't how we think it is in terms of like the rock record and the transition of fossils and all the rest of it. Science is kind of constantly evolving and we're always asking questions. And um, that's how God has made us to be and he's made, hasn't told us everything, and we've just got to try and work it out. I hope that Fantastic. Yeah, no, really, yeah, really, really helpful. Um, there's one question that's come in that said, how was the earth populated? Are we all offspring from Adam and Eve? And um, I wonder if that, I think that's kind of been answered already in the sense that there's, the, you've got the different world, like different views of creation. And if it's, if it's a literal view, then some Christians will believe that Adam and Eve were the, the the firstborn of all humanity in that sense and and therefore from them it was all populated and some and and obviously there's um there's questions to be asked like so who did Cain and Abel marry you know where did those people come from and then some might believe that they're an archetype as, as Phil went through and therefore there was other bits populated and um I, it just kind of depends and I'm not sure we really know um and I, so I, that's why I think we've kind of answered that question. Um, and these are good tensions to hold in balance and to, and to ask us. Uh, what I will do is come to Phil, because um, my next question is, um, how was the universe formed from nothing? God did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, a bit uh, facetiously there. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I wasn't quite sure how to answer this question in all seriousness without being facetious, because 
I think that's very much the Christian view is that God did create all things from nothing. And it's, that seems to be how science, as far as I understand it, um, the, the bit I did do in secondary school is, is physics and a bit of astrophysics. Um, and from my understanding, the way that the Big Bang works is something did come from nothing. And that's quite a, a lot of atheist scientists, uh, when the Big Bang was proposed, laughed it off thinking that the, uh, the universe was eternal. Um, they didn't want there to be a beginning because that confirms in many ways a Christian worldview uh, of, of, yeah, of science of the beginnings of um, there was nothing and then there was light and there was land and there was uh, everything uh, in, in creation. So the, the Big Bang, I find, is actually a massive confirmation of the Christian perspective that there was nothing and then there was something. And actually, that is an Achilles heel, I think, for an atheistic view of evolution, that nothing. Uh, and I have heard atheist philosophers, well, no, atheist scientists who try to philosophize <laughs> about about this, um, trying to explain different kinds of nothing. Um, it's it's quite amusing if it wasn't just sad. <laughs> so um, that that's my thoughts on the big on the Big Bang. The scientists here might have a bit more to say on that. How God did it? Well, that that's exactly what the, the Bible says. God is God. God creates. God is the only one who can create. He is the Almighty Creator, and He reveals Himself through His creation that we can explore through science through. Uh, and theology and philosophy and we can work out who God is through how he reveals himself to us um, and I think that's quite an exciting thing to be able to do um, I just wanted to point to a resource just on that past question about Adam and Eve it's something that's come out really recently um, so I haven't actually been able to read the book but it's called the genealogical Adam and Eve and it points to the fact again it's very much like a functional view in that it, you don't have to wrestle with scripture. Uh, it points to the genealogies rather than the genetics. And oftentimes we seem to try and conflate the two. Um, just looking at time, look, look it up. Genealogical Adam and Eve is basically saying God could have created an Adam and Eve that was historic within the last 10,000 years. Science would not be able to tell us otherwise because of how genetics work. Genetics works if you think just very quickly, your parents, they're 50 percent from your mum, genetics, 50% from your dad. You go up another rung, you get a quarter across, then an eighth. You go a few generations up. And because the way genetics works, you get a you can only get specific information in chunks. You can't get like 0.5 of the chunk from your parents. You get whole chunks. So eventually you go up enough rungs you get these things called genetic ghosts and you end up not being able to figure out who whose genes you got um and so then you end up with sharing ancestors and things like that from from i'm waving because that's my image of a family tree so a guy named jo dr josh swamidas and what's interesting about it is his book is uh, recommended by atheists and christians atheists because the science is sound christians because it uh, means we don't have to wrestle with science and faith. Um, and I haven't read the book. I've heard him talking on a podcast. 
check it out. That sounds like we all want to read it now. So it's uh, yeah, really, really helpful. Okay, so we've had a question that came in 10 minutes ago that has like climbed right up um, the top. Um, so it's open to the panel. Um, it says, so how do we marry the how God intended things? So God intended things. And then we've got the fall and the, the fallen world that we live in. So how do we marry those two things? And so they put, so for example, he intended no pain, but obviously there is pain. So should we take painkillers? Like, is that something we should do, even though God didn't kind of intend it to happen? Or he also intended male-female marriage. So should we kind of um, promote that or, or actually should we go for any? Because, you know, we're in a world now that's different to the world that God created and God told us about. So therefore, are, I guess are kind of all things open now for us to, to interpret and to, to decide and deal with how we want because it's we're not actually living in the world that God originally intended. I can say something on that. I mean, I think we are, we're still living in God's created world. He still wants to redeem it and restore it and has plans for a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, so we don't just just because the world is fallen doesn't mean we give up on God's good design, but we seek to uh, to work back towards that. I think there's a useful few verses in Romans 8 on this. Um, Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So just recognizing that tension between our suffering fallen world and our hope for the for the future. He talks about the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. He talks about creation groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So, yeah, creation, people, our whole world struggles with its fallenness. But we should be yearning, groaning for um, for restoration and for healing. Um, so, yes, let's. Let's take painkillers because we're in a fallen world, but let's also uh, seek to reflect God's good design in the way that we live our lives, that we pattern our relationships and that we love one another. Wonderful. We have two minutes left. So this is what I'm going to propose um, because there's still lots of questions and what I propose is that each of our panelists give us like a final statement and in that final statement they can answer a question that's on there or they can uh, 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 you know bring out something that's particularly from their heart um, I think you will have the you will can see what questions are are there I'm just going to take off that one thank you um and uh some of some of them have been answered already and and i was going to go through and try to like figure them all out like how can i group them but there's just no time so um i'm going to give you a closing statement each and at this point i just want to thank everyone for being part of this evening i'm hoping that you found it really really helpful and engaging i know i have lots of excellent questions uh in there and um kate I hope you're ready because I'm going to come to you. I'm going to go Kate, Helen, Stuart, and then Phil, you can finish us off. Okay, so I'm not directly going to answer one of the questions. Um, I don't feel like tackling, did God create evil in half a minute? Um, 
And I was going to say that in looking into this, although it's very daunting, it has actually been really helpful for me to look over how I balance like my huge faith in science and my faith in God and in this creation story. And I think that's been really interesting. And the things I've read and the people I've spoken to um, have just given me great confidence that they sit so closely together and that there really isn't, although it's, it's great to think about how, where the discrepancies might come, I think it's, it's brilliant that they do fit so closely together and you can link um, how God has created with this amazing world with all the scientific discoveries that are being made all the time. I think that's something to be really excited about. Thank you, thank you, Kate. Helen? Well, I'll jump in, so my final thoughts. Um, I think, I'm possibly the other way to Kate, to be honest. I think sort of two things that I took out of this, I think it's more that I don't think we should really get that hung up on it. I think sort of the key to being a Christian, it kind of goes back to the teachings of Jesus. It's sort of, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and to love your neighbour as yourself. And I think, those are two things that we really need to concentrate, especially at the moment with everything that's going on in the world around us. And that's kind of what's important. And I think, you know, there's so much in Genesis. There's so much you can agree, disagree on. There's just so many different levels to it. You know, you do need a degree in theology just to even begin to understand it. And I think sort of, again, you know, reading Bible, just sort of finished Job. And obviously the book of Job is all about suffering. But at the end of Job, God basically goes, I'm God. Let me be God. Let me get on with this. You know, I know what I'm doing. I'm in control you know, just look to me and lean on me, God's got it. And I think it shouldn't be something that you lose sleep about. It shouldn't be something that you argue with people about. It's just something, you know, when you are having a sleep this night, it's quite interesting. And there are lots of different debates in there, but I think ultimately what's really important is just to look back to Jesus and what he's saying and to just try and love each other and support each other, especially at the moment. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. We're, God is God and we're not. Um, Stuart? Yeah, I'm going to answer one question in, a, in one sentence. Uh, there was a question, who wrote the book of Genesis? And the answer is probably Moses. Uh, there are other views, but um, Jesus seems to um, see Moses as the writer of Genesis. Um, so let's take his, we, that's probably the case. Um, thank you for all your questions and for your engagement with this. I would just say, um, keep asking questions. Don't be daunted because there's different Christian views on these matters. I, um, I've, I've just learned that Christian is a highly credible worldview. Uh, lots of thoughtful um, people believe in Christianity and it's, it's okay to keep on wrestling with these matters. And like I said, God doesn't answer all our questions, so we're going to have some areas for debate, and that's absolutely fine. Um, keep thinking it through and uh, keep trusting in God. Fantastic. And Phil? Yeah, there's uh, just so many questions that I want to answer. Um, I, I think the, uh, the thing I want to answer, though, is, is what would you say to someone struggling with Genesis 1? It's probably similar to what I'd say to anyone wrestling with Scripture is kind of going back to what I opened with that the Bible isn't a place for easy answers. It's a place for some answers, but it's a place to wrestle with God. And I found that incredibly encouraging uh, to just dig in to, to find these tensions and love them rather than get annoyed by them. Um, 
to see that God is bigger than my answers and, and what I want to see in scripture. Um, this is an awesome God that is in revealing himself through scripture, through creation, and we can fall more in love with him by looking at both and not to conflict the two. Uh, I would ask anyone struggling with Genesis 1 this question. If your faith stands on falls on whether or not evolution is true, then you're no longer worshipping the God of the Bible, but an interpretation. So that that's the warning. And I know there are some people, maybe not here, but some might watch this recording, who the answer is, if evolution is true, I'm not sure I could be a Christian. I'd love to talk to you because that's not the faith that I would recommend that you have. Put your faith in Jesus. That's historical. And uh, we can wrestle with the rest until new creation. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, panellists. Um, I know we'd give them a round of applause if they were if we're all in the room. Um, cheers, Dan <laughs> and the young. Um, uh, so thank you, everyone. Um, Father God, I want to thank you for this evening. I pray, Lord, that it's been helpful and fruitful. Uh, and I and I thank you, Lord God, that more than anything, your your grace has shone through. Thank you for our panellists who just so graciously answered all our questions and and uh, and I pray, Lord God, for yeah, for, as Phil mentioned, for all those of us who might still have lots of questions, and concerns. Actually, and 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 uh, Stuart said, help us, Lord God, to continue to grapple with these, to dig deeper, to read books, and um, and also to to fall more and more in love with you. And we thank you, Lord God, that actually, yeah, our faith doesn't depend all on chapter one of Genesis, but actually on the personhood of Jesus and all that He's done in our life through the Father, through the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we trust you, Lord God and we thank you for our time together amen 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 thank you everyone, everyone. <laughs> yeah. that was in unison that was nice it's just almost as if we're on the same team together <laughs> sometimes we're two alike it scares me <laughs>